Number nine, I want you to look at verse number 25 is where we're going to be talking about tonight. And something that we're going to be talking about is about a clock. Uh, last Wednesday night, we talked about the last week. This is actually the last week, part two. We're going to have a whole bunch of parts in this. But uh, we're trying to find out that last week. Why, why is that last week called the uh, seven years of tribulation? Where we got that from? Uh, if you remember, we talked about last Wednesday night that the tribulation or the great tribulation, capital T, is actually reserved, if you remember in your study notes and stuff, it is determined, but it's determined upon thy people and thy holy city. And it has a purpose. It not only has a people and a place that it's going to happen to, talking about Israelites and Jerusalem, the holy mountain of God, but it also is a time that's determined that God's put it in a span of 70 weeks. It's it's actually not a week of days that we know, but it's actually, the word is translated, a week of years. Uh, if you remember last Wednesday night, we talked about a heptad. Remember, that was a series of seven. Uh, we learned about the Romans or the Greek. They actually, we call it a decade, which would be a 10-year period. That we have three decades would be 30 years. Well, having those uh, 70 heptads, it would be 490 years that would be determined upon that. Even Patty, as we went home last night, she said, is there such thing as a heptagon? And I was like, yeah, it's got seven sides. You know, and we looked it up and all that stuff. And so it's just the way Israel did those things. Uh, just as we put things in the, the tens and try to keep it in that kind of mark in the decades, and then we put it in centuries and we do that other stuff and recording our time, they did it in the sevens. And it was commanded by God for them to do that. In Leviticus chapter 3, Leviticus chapter 23, and Numbers chapter 12, it was commanded that they would do these things in series of seven. And we know, look, at the scriptures, that God has a wonderful, um, wonderful way with numbers, being the Trinity, being the number three, the uh, number of earth being the number four, uh, wonderful grace being number five, the number six being the number of mankind or humanity, and the number seven being the number of perfection, the number 10 being the number of completion. So when you take that and you put it together and you have that seven and the 10, 70 together, then you understand that God's got a perfect and complete plan that he's going to bring Israel into chastisement and into judgment, but he's doing it for their good. Now, how many of you ever had a dad or mom before that whooped you? Anybody had, a, anybody had a parent that ever whooped them? Okay, you understand what I'm saying. Do you ever remember that, you know, in the middle of the whooping, they would look at you and go, I, look, I'm doing this because I love you. And you, you said, you're lying, you're, you're lying. Or, or stop loving me, you know. Or they always said, I'm doing this for your own good, right? Well, God's going to do that. He's going to do it for their good. You know why? Because the Bible says that he chastens those whom he loves. Uh, the Bible does not say spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible does say if you spare the rod, he that spareth the rod hateth his son. And God loves Israel and he's not finished with them. So as much as you think Israel is wiped out and finished, they are not finished. As, as a matter of fact, when you look at them, they're the only nation, people of a nation that had the name and uh, Israel itself that has gone away, come back, gone away, come back, gone away, come back. In 1948, come back again, you know, and has established themselves as a state again. So church, God... God's got wonderful plans to do with Israel. But I want you to look. We talked about the 70 weeks. We talked about the holy city, the holy people, uh, all of these things. And in verse 24, we talked about how it was going to make an end or finish transgression, make an end of sin, reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Well, look at verse number 25 with me. The Bible says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince, 
prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And what, first of all, in your notes, I want you to look at this part right here. This is exactly, this is just what Daniel was praying for. You remember we talked about that earlier in the book of Daniel, uh, uh, in the chapter 9 there, that Daniel was praying. He was seeking God. When was he seeking God? He was seeking God in the morning. He was seeking him at noontime, and he was seeking him at evening time. Why was he doing that? Because there was no temple that they could actually do sacrificial worship and offer up the sacrifices of God. So Daniel said, Brother Jack, that I prayed in the morning when the morning oblation or sacrifice was to be offered. I prayed at noontime when the noontime sacrifice or oblation was to be offered, and at the evening time when the sacrifice or oblation was to be offered. And Daniel was saying, listen, as long as there's not a temple, that's not going to stop me from praying. Okay, The same way is that if we don't have this building here, that doesn't stop us from being a church and being the body of Christ. Amen? Mortar and brick and sheetrock and mud and lights and all those things and carpet, that doesn't make the church. It's good to have these things to come into to have comfort and shelter in order to worship God, but this is not the church. We are the church. Amen? And so Daniel said, I'm just going to continue to do what I've always done. And when they told him he couldn't pray, he did what? He continued to do always what he had done. And Daniel was asking God for what? He was saying, God, I want wisdom and understanding. I want to know what you are doing with the people of Israel. He said, I need wisdom and discernment about how you're going to judge Israel and what judgment would come and what would he bring and how these things would come about. Church, and the Bible teaches us that we should do those things also. In the book of James chapter number one, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. The Bible says that we shouldn't be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What that means is, is that you shouldn't go back and forth, faith to fear, faith to fear, faith to fear. If we have faith in God, then what do we have? We have no fear because we've been given the spirit of what? The Holy Spirit of God. And when we're given the spirit, what does it say? I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind, right? Or love, power, and of a sound mind. And that's talking about when we receive the Holy Spirit of God, we are now holding on to our faith and not our fear. Even Jesus told the disciples how many times, he said, do not be afraid. He said other times, Brother David, he said, oh, ye of little faith. He was like, why are you holding on to faith and you're holding on to fear at the same time? He said, you can't do that. You've got to give up one or the other and hold on to the one or the other. Now, fear brings what? When we're talking about fear, I'm not talking about in reverence of God, in fear of God's wrath, in fear of his wisdom and understanding, in fear of him because he's God and we're not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being afraid of not knowing where your next meal will come from, where your clothes are going to come from. Jesus said, if he clothes the lilies of the fields and he feeds the sparrows and they don't toil and they don't go out and garden and they don't go out and crank up a tractor and do all these things. If he takes care of them, then you got to have faith to know that he's going to take care of you. And so you got to live by what? You got to live by faith and not by fear. And the Bible says that you can't be double-minded in any of your ways. You must be sound-minded and you must know this. Lord, if I don't understand something and I don't have wisdom about it, then you have to ask God 
for that wisdom. How many of you have ever been faced before with something that you thought you didn't know how you were going to get through it? You didn't understand why you were going through it. You didn't understand, listen, and what I mean by that, how you're going to get through it, I'm talking about how you're going to come out on the other side. But when you held on to God in faith and you asked him for wisdom, you asked him for discernment, listen, he does answer. It may not be. Listen, it may not be that he answers right then and there. But it may be that he is not trying to get you out of a situation, but he's trying to bring you through a situation so that you would be stronger as a child of God. It's not always that we say, God, get us out of the fire. But what it sometimes is, is we go through the fire to be what? To be tempered, to be purified, and to be stronger. It doesn't mean that God is angry with you and God is punishing you. But what it means is he wants you to seek him for everything. Did you know that fasting, and I know that you, you look at me and you go, well, Steve, do you really fast? And yes, yeah, there are times that I do, but you don't talk about them. Fasting is not a thing that you brag about. Fasting is not a thing that you promote and you push all out there. Fasting is a time of you taking away from things of your own fleshly satisfying needs in order to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's been revival meetings that I've prayed and I've fasted during the whole revival meeting. Seven days where I'm just like, God, I'm going to just drink water and that's it. You know, your wife's worried about you. Everything's going this way. You feel down. Your body begins to get down. And you're praying that God would move in a spiritual way and that God would just bust out revival and at the end of the revival Satan knocks on your ear and he goes hey not very many people got saved trying to poke at you and stuff listen fasting is not about getting results fasting is about you tuning your ear and your heart and your life into what God is trying to give you and you got to understand this that Jeremiah was also one that fasted Ezekiel was also one that fasted Isaiah was one that fasted but you know what Ezekiel said about it Ezekiel he actually says in Ezekiel chapter 2 verse number 5 and 7 that God told him that whether they hear or whether they don't hear that doesn't matter that thing that matters is is that they would know a prophet has been among them and so many times we say all right i'm going to do this because i'm going to make god move and make god do these things that's not our attitude we should say god i need wisdom about what you're doing god i need understanding about what you're going to do daniel's prayer was not god will you do it this way god will you take jerusalem and take like 500 of them and chastise them so that we could all learn a lesson from them no he was saying god what are you doing god i need wisdom i need understanding he said and i need you to speak to me and let me know and the bible says that god sent word by gabriel The Bible says that he told them in that very first verse, he said, know, therefore, and understand. Look at that first part, and this is the next point, so don't get ahead of me. But he says, know, therefore, and understand. He said, Lord, I need wisdom. God said, all right, I'm going to give you wisdom. He even told him, he said, listen, I heard you at the beginning of your supplications. And he said, uh, and now I've sent word, and Gabriel came down and told it to him. He says, Daniel was praying that God would show him what was going on. The second thing I want you to look at is this, that God determined the times. God made these times. We all believe that God made the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the valleys, the rivers, everything about it. 
God set everything in motion. God breathed life into us. We became living soul. We actually multiplied and reproduced. God made all of the angels. They did not reproduce. God made a multiple number of angels that we can't even understand, but they do not reproduce. They actually have a set number. We actually are growing and growing and growing. We have a number that is kept, no man can number. When you look at it, listen, God said, all right, Daniel, I'm going to give you understanding. He said, the first thing I want you to know is that I'm in control. You know what? That's the best thing that you could ever hear God tell you in your prayers. I'm in control. You may not understand it. You may not even agree with it and get a hold of it. You say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? It may be something that you're going through that is hurting, that is purging something, that's cutting something, that is almost as though it seems like your heart is being taken out and being just kind of pressed and squeezed. But when God tells you, listen, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. I'm in control. God tells Daniel through Gabriel, he says, I want you to know and understand something. He said, first of all, I've determined these times. You know, we've been talking about the book of Revelation. We've been talking about how Jesus said uh, to the seven churches, he would say, and to the church of Thyatira, write, you know, these things saith he that holdeth this, 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 and does all these things. Do you remember what Jesus was always trying to do? He was always trying to remind him, Brother Heath, that I know everything about you. And if I know everything about you and you trust me, then you got to trust the fact that if I know everything and I can see those things and I'm here and I'm looking and you're there in front of it all, you're standing at the base of the mountain and looking at the mountain, but I'm actually way up here, way above Google Maps. And I'm seeing everything. you got to trust me that I know which way that I'm leading you. And in this scripture, he tells him, he says, I have determined the times there's going to be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. But it's not just that determined time, because that is only a portion of it. That's actually 69 of the 70-week prophecy. See, in verse 24, God said, I determined the time. The time is 490 years, Israel. Now, when Daniel heard that, what would you think that he would actually go into? The children of Israel are going to go through this troublous times. Temple's going to be rebuilt. The walls are going to be rebuilt. The city is going to be repaved. All of these things are going to be done 490 years? Stop and put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just one moment. They are already, Daniel knew what it was like to be a captive or a slave to the Babylonians. He already knew what it was like to be under there because as a young boy, Brother Carl, he was already taken out as that slave. But then he saw God begin to move and God begin to work. And then the kings of Persia came in and overtook Babylon. And you remember when they overtook that actually Daniel began to rise up in the ranks of all of that. Remember you had one king that was by the name of Cyrus. Then you had another king by the name of Darius. And then you had another king that was the name of Xerxes and then Artaxerxes. All these kings started coming up. And with each one, it seemed like the Jews gained favor with them. And now God tells Daniel, Daniel, the chastisement, the judgment is going to last 490 years. Immediately, you would think that Daniel would go, Lord, why? Why, Lord, have the children of Israel not suffered enough? Have the children of Israel not suffered under the hands of these Babylonians? Have the children of Israel not been chastised enough? We've learned our lesson, have we not? But look, if you go back and read the prophets that were preaching at the time of Daniel, and you would understand the words of Jeremiah, and you would understand these prophets as they were preaching the word of God, then you would know that the children of Israel did not learn their lesson. 
you would know that in Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, and neither did they blush. You would understand that the shepherds in chapter 23 of Jeremiah, that they were leading the sheep astray away from God. You would understand in the book of Ezra that during all of this time, you would know that Ezra sat down and wept and plucked his beard and his hair out because the people of God were not doing what God said to do. They were allowed to build the temple or rebuild the temple. And when he came in with a huge bunch of people that marched out of Persia that went or marched out of Babylon and went over there and they came in ready to start doing this and wanted to have worship service right off the bat. He had the trumpet blowers. He had the shofars. He had all the things ready, Brother Craig. And when he got over there and he saw what the priests were doing with the people and how they were worshiping gods and false gods and all this stuff, it says that Ezra, the priest and scribe, sat down and they said that he stared off in astonishment for six hours and then he plucked his beard out and his hair because he could not understand. He said, God, please don't kill them. Don't afflict them. But he was acting just like Jesus and saying, I would rather myself (coughs) be afflicted than for them. (coughs) You would understand that they didn't go. They didn't actually, will you get me some water? They didn't go back to doing what they were supposed to do. So that's why Daniel didn't go, Lord, have they not suffered enough? 490 more years? That's why Daniel never come back with anything at all. And he accepted what God said because why? God is in control and God sees all. That's why Daniel was found, Brother Heath, praying and saying, God, forgive me of my sins and the sins of my people. Forgive us all because they had not learned yet. Look, church, if you are not getting a hold of this, I'm telling you, it's much, much, very much like the country that we live in today. To where we have not learned that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We really need to learn that. Listen, you know that the Bible says God determined the times. And I want you to know something. God didn't determine the times just whenever he was giving this to Daniel. It wasn't like God, thank you. It wasn't like God went around, Andrew drank mine the other day. I'm going to get on here. But he preached good, so we'll let it slide. But it wasn't that God said, all right, Daniel, I'm trying to figure out a solution here. So let me see, uh, maybe we'll do 490 years, like God just come up with some kind of number. No, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says that he declares the end from the beginning, from the ancient times to the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. You know why? Because he wrote it all. He spoke it all in existence. So that tells us again one more time that God determined the times. Why, church? Because he's in control. But the second thing that you see here is that God separated these times. God separated these times. And, and there's, there's not a space in this one yet, but there are times that are separated. Look at what he says. He said, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, talking about Jesus Christ, it said shall be seven weeks, and then puts a comma and says in three score and two weeks. He says there's going to be seven weeks and there's going to be 62 weeks. And you add those numbers up, you would know that that's 69 of the 70 full weeks of prophecy that are on there. He separated those times out, and and if you wanted to write it down, you can. I'll put it up there. And if you're taking those notes, you can go ahead and write those things. But God is giving, 
he's saying, look, we're going to space this out, separate these things out. And uh, he said, because I want you to understand. Uh, Know, therefore, and understand. It's what he said in verse number 25. Know, therefore, and understand. God's saying, I want you, Daniel, to have wisdom. And I want you to have discernment. And so God just doesn't go, all right, it's going to be 490 years, and it could start here, or it could start there. I'm glad, Brother Heath, that we don't have a Bible that teaches us about a God that just randomly goes, well, I mean, it may be hit or miss for five days or 12 or 15 years, but I mean, we're going to get around to it. That, that's not the way our God is. Our God has a specific timeline, and so many times you've heard, you've heard in Revelation studies, you've heard other people talk about it. Brother Steve, the tribulation period, it's going to be seven years. It's going to be seven years. You know why? Because we already know that 69 of those weeks of years, 483 of those years are already going to be accomplished. And so we're going to talk about those two things tonight. I'm going to try my best not to be some kind of mathematician because God knows that I'm not. All right. But uh, you got 49 years, he says, is going to happen. He said, and that's going to be going on when? He said, it's going to be whenever the, the wall is being rebuilt and the street is being rebuilt. Now, understand something. You need to write this in your notes right there. Everybody that's smart, you need to write this stuff or you need to remember this. He didn't say anything about the rebuilding of the temple. He said, when the wall and the street, or the streets and the walls in Jerusalem is rebuilt. He didn't say anything about rebuilding the temple. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you need to remember that because so many people get this prophecy messed up because they start adding in rebuilding the temple. you got to know that it took them almost a century, like 93 years to rebuild the temple, okay? So the math won't work. But God didn't say anything about that to Daniel at this point in time. He says there's going to be 49 years from when the walls and the streets are rebuilt. He said, and then there's going to be 62 weeks or 434 more years until what happens? you remember? Until Messiah the Prince comes. Jesus Christ presents himself as the Christ. Hey, this is really exciting. And I know you're not getting it yet, but we're going to get it. You're going to get it later. It's going to be about two more weeks, but you're really going to get it. It's really good. So let's talk about the first thing, or actually underneath this. The Bible says that the clock begins. Now listen. Before you put me out there and and take me as this person that knows when the Lord's coming back, I I never said that. I didn't say that at all. Don't don't say that about me because the Bible says no man knows the hour nor the day wherein the Son of Man cometh. Okay? Only the Father has command over that. We don't know that. There's nobody. Look, there's people been trying to say he, he, he was in a spaceship behind Halley's Comet one time, you know. And then other people said, drink this Kool-Aid and you'll be able to see him come. I don't serve Kool-Aid and I don't look for comets either. I'm looking for Jesus. Amen. And I don't know when it will happen, but the Bible says it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's fast. Okay. That's fast in the twinkling of an eye. But I do know this, that the Bible tells us these prophecies in order for us to be prepared and to understand that when we see God moving in Israel and we see God doing something in Israel, we need to keep our eyes on these things because why? The rapture of the church is at hand. That's what we're waiting for. Okay. Anybody in here waiting on the rapture? Huh? Yep. I wrote a song one time called I'm good to go. It deals with the rapture. When he calls, I'm good to go. When he blows a trumpet, I'm good to go. You put me in the ground, I'm good to go. Right. And so we'll be out of here, but God's doing something with Israel and always with Israel. What did the new Testament say? Told us that the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. 
right? You know that during this time that we're going to be talking about the wall and the street being rebuilt, that this was actually the time of Socrates, uh, actually the time actually when it was actually being wrapped up, those 49 years, toward the end of that, about nine years left, that it was the time of Plato. Uh, and, and you look at this as though it was like, like what they want to tell you billions of years ago. It wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. But this was during the time of those people that were great writers. They were, they were great orators, speakers, all these things. And the Bible says that all of this stuff was going on all together. And he said, Israel... Daniel, I want you to know something. The clock will start right when the wall and the decree of rebuilding the wall is done. And he went, that's when you'll set your watch. He said, you can set your watch by it. Church, it's such a good book that all of this prophecy will all fall together and you'll understand it. He said, the clock begins right then. He sent the word that from the commandment or the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Look at verse number 25 in Daniel chapter 9. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, a decree, the commandment to do what? To restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. It will be seven week period and it will be a 62 week period. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Church, he said it will start when the decree comes in. And so this is what I want to help you out with, and I want to try to show you these things. If you would, take your Bibles and turn over to Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2, because I want you to read this. Uh, I want you to maybe highlight some of these things. Uh, I wish you'd write it down, because I'm telling you, these are the kind of things that you'll definitely forget. You may not forget John 3, 16, 1 John 1 and 9, Romans 10, 9 and 10, 3 and 23, and 6 and 23, but you'll forget this stuff. Okay, and the reason is is because it's all that stuff that we hated to do in high school and and, and uh, to remember dates and to remember remember numbers. The book of Nehemiah. You go to Ezra, take a right. You'll you'll find. Okay, Nehemiah chapter number two. And uh, when I finish hearing the pages and stuff rolling around, we'll we'll read it. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter two. Look at verse number one. It says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, okay, not, not, not a Maxima or, or an automobile, but they, they were in all in one accord, the Bible says, in the upper room. <clears throat> There's a lot of them, 120 of them fitting in an accord. But uh, it's, <laughs> it says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan. If you want to write in your Bible right there, that's a Hebrew month. If you want to write in there, it's actually their first month of the year. It's March or April. It's like mid-March into April, if you wanted to write that on your notes. But it says, it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. It says, now I had not been before him sad in his presence. And let me explain that to you. The reason that Nehemiah was sad in his presence, if you go back tonight or this week, your homework would be go and read Nehemiah chapter 1, you'd understand that Nehemiah was one that was actually born out of Jerusalem, but yet he had blood ties all the way to Jerusalem. And he heard about the city of Jerusalem and the temple being rebuilt, and the city, uh, the walls and everything still laid in ruins, actually in the ash and in the fire and everything. And so he became so burdened that he just sat down and wept about it and wept 
about it and wept about it and just cried. And actually, it took him up to nearly four months to even try to get through this. And after he wept about it, God showed him what he needed to do. But he was sad in the presence of the king Artaxerxes. And, and that's one of the things that you didn't do in front of the Persian kings or the Babylonian kings or anything. You were supposed to change all of your countenance when you came into the presence of the king because you were not to bring him down. That, I think we ought to pass some kind of bylaw here at the church that you do that like every service that you just come in you have to smile at the preacher and say amen you know that'd be good but he was so burdened about it all that when he came into the presence there the bible says that he gives us a timeline now i don't know about y'all but look back with me at verse number one of chapter two i can understand that we would just start this scripture off saying now nehemiah i came into the presence of artaxerxes and brought wine before him because he was the cupbearer he was not an alcoholic Amen. He was a cupbearer for the king. That means that he drank the wine before he did in order to do what? To see if it was poisoned or if it was good, all of those things. And so I know that some of y'all are trying, you're in your sin, and you think you call yourself a cupbearer when you're just a teetotaler. But anyway, get past that. It would seem to make more sense to go... I, Nehemiah, came before Artaxerxes because I was the cupbearer and brought him wine, and I was sad in his presence. But God gives us these things, and sometimes we miss them. Look at what it says, that it was in the month of Nisan, the first month of the year, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. And when you look up history, you understand that Artaxerxes was king of Persia from 465 to 424 B.C. You would understand that his name, uh, when you look it up, uh, it, his name meant the righteous, uh, the kingdom of righteousness. Um, but it, it gives a timeline. And you say, Brother Steve, where do we get all these things from? our encyclopedias and our history books. And when you go back and you search this stuff out, uh, and I know people go, well, it doesn't matter. Who, who really cares who the king of Persia was during that time and stuff like that? Well, much like us today, um, our 16th president. Come on, who was it? Thank you. Abraham Lincoln, right? No, let me give you one easier. Our first president. <laughs> now we got you, right? Our current president. No, I'm just kidding. Look, all... <laughs> All, we know all these things because why? We're taught those things in history. Well, in order to understand Scripture and to see that God is really on point and He's always on time and He's very particular about things, He even gives us in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. It tells us when the month was, when the year was, so that we won't be in the dark about it. It shows us that it was actually in that, that month that it was 445 B.C. And we know that this guy, this guy's pretty cool. I know some of you probably didn't get this or not, but you had these kings. You had Cyrus, you had Darius, you had uh, 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 Xerxes one, you had Xerxes two. But you had Xerxes the first, you would know that he had a son, he had three sons, and the third son, his name is Artaxerxes. And he is actually the stepson of Queen Esther. Everybody know Queen Esther in the Bible. You know that uh, uh, Xerxes divorced his disobedient wife and Queen Esther came in and married in, right? And what happened? God had a wonderful plan that he took that Persian king and his heart began to melt for what? The Jewish people, Mordecai and others, right? Brought all that together. And God is doing something, okay? God is actually opening doors because the Bible says in Revelation, 
revelation that he opens doors no man can close and he closes doors or shuts doors and no man can open. So it's really neat to look at this. So in the side of your notes right there in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse number 1, if you want to put it, just put 445 B.C. That was his 20th year that he was there and uh, that's when things are going to actually start. If you look at it, Scholars have gone back, and this would probably blow your mind a little bit, but I'm, gonna try, I'm trying not to confuse you, but scholars have gone all the way back, and through the Paschal Moons or the, the Equinox, they go all the way back, and they have dated <coughs> excuse me, this date all the way to March 14th, 445 B.C. They go all the way back to that time. And you say, well, how would they do that? And we're going to learn more about it later, but they basically take all the years, they put it into play, they've added it up, they use the days because you can't determine it with 365-day years. You have to determine it with 360, and I'm hopefully going to show you that. But the Bible says that this clock began to tick down the 49-year period right then. Why? Because you remember, the Bible says that King Artaxerxes was touched by Nehemiah's brokenness. He was actually moved. Instead of move to anger and get him out of my sight or to kill him, as most kings of Persia would do, Brother Craig, he was moved and he said, Nehemiah, what is it you need? He said, how can I be the king's cupbearer and how can I be before you and do all these things in my city and the walls of my people? They're broken down and they're in ruins. And he asked the king permission to go. And not only did the king give him permission to go, but he took his great insignia seal out, wrote a letter, and told all of those that were harvesting the cedars of Lebanon, all of those that were in the quarries and uh, 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 hewing out the stones and the rocks, that he wrote a letter and he said, whatever Nehemiah needs, you give it to him. You give it to him. Church, listen. He might have been an evil, wicked, no good, pagan-worshipping king of Persia. But listen, God was touched by the brokenness of Nehemiah and God's people needed the help. And listen, Pilate one time stood before Jesus and he asked him, what is truth? Jesus looked at him and said, you can't handle the truth. I'm just kidding. Jesus answered him not a word. He didn't answer him a word. No, but what did he do when he was standing out there? He said, the ones that are delivering me to you have the greater condemnation or greater sin. He said, don't you know that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? He said, you would have no power at all except it was given unto you by my father. And he was like, he call in angels and I could get out of here in no time. What was he saying? He said, you can't do anything unless God allows you to do it. And what you think you may be doing some kind of good deed, you got to understand that the father of lights, the father of goodness, he's allowing you to do those things. He's the one that does these things, amen? And so Nehemiah was broken about it, and he went, and you can look. If you read the book of Nehemiah, which I challenge you to, it's real good for the church to read the book of Nehemiah because it shows how a people are supposed to work together. You would understand the Bible says in one scripture, it says that how they were working so good, it says because the people had a mind to work. You would know that it only took them like 52 days to rebuild that wall. The Bible says right here, he says, This is the time, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. If you go read the book of Nehemiah, you'll understand it was difficult. 
You'll understand if you go read the book of Ezra how difficult it was for them to rebuild the temple. You would know that they got a decree and told them to go rebuild it, and then all of a sudden the Samaritans were mad because the Jews would not allow them to come in and to help. They were upset about it, so what did they do? They turned around to the kings of Persia, and they went and told them how they wouldn't do this, but they actually brought something up against them so that the, the production and the building of the temple would be halted and would be stopped. Listen, it was all just this anger, just all this stuff, but there was always trouble. The Bible says Nehemiah had trouble. He had two guys that were always causing trouble. His name, their names were Senballat and Tobiah. They were the guys that walked, and they, they would mock, and they would look, Brother Adam, at what they were building, and they, were, they would say, if a fox jumped up on this wall, it'd knock it down, you know. Uh, I love Nehemiah because it first starts out how the priests and the others went together, and the first gate that they built was the sheep gate, amen. They were going to have those sacrifices that were going to be coming into the temple. I love that part of it. They were getting priority in order. But if you read those two books, you would know that it was, it was tough. But the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 16, verse number, or chapter 6, verse number 5, it says that so the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month of Ild in 50 and two days. It was built in 52 days. The clock began to be built. Let me go to that next scripture. There's a scripture. It's Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. They built that thing in 50, 52 days. They were told that there was no way that they'd be able to rebuild it, but they built it in that amount of time. Listen, we're going to go on to these next things, and I'm going to try to go slow, but we don't have a whole lot of time left, and this is very important for you to know. It says, from the decree of the building of the wall and the streets. Right? Remember that with me? There were actually three decrees that were giving, given out about Jerusalem. When the Babylonians had them in captivity, when Daniel was about 14 or 15 years old as a young boy, you remember we talked about that the Persian kings came in, they took over, and then here come one king by the name of King Cyrus. Do you remember King Cyrus? King Cyrus, the one that came in and he gave the Israelites their freedom back. Sister Gail, what King Cyrus did in 539 BC, he actually came in and he told all of those that were in captivity, he said, listen, you can go to your homeland. You can go back and you can build the temple and you can go and enjoy those things and to live in peace. But it was only, listen to me now, it was only about the temple. It was it. He instructed them that they could go back to their worship and they could go seek God. But Brother Jack, he said, it was about the temple. There was no defenses. There was no walls to be built. It was about the temple. Go and restore the temple. He allowed them to do that. Many of the people left and went to Jerusalem, and they started rebuilding. We know that Ezra, the scribe, the, the priest and scribe, that things were getting done. Uh, they found the Word of God. They started all of this stuff. And so that was that first decree that went out. But then there was another decree. Oh, listen, here's the Scriptures. I wanted to read them with you. I didn't put them in my notes, and I didn't put them in your notes, but if you want to write it down, look at Ezra chapter 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord uh, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, fulfilled. 
says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. This is what he said. Thus saith King Cyrus, of Persia, a king of Persia, says, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He told them that they could go back and to do those things. That was that first decree in 539 B.C., But then a second decree came in because why? Because all of the building of the temple stopped. What happened was, it was like, you guys over here are going to be Jewish people. No, we're not. We always use you to be good people. All you people over here are going to be the good little sheep tonight. You are the Jews. All right? All you people over here, you're Samaritans. You're Jews and Greek. You're mixed, okay? Everybody over here, you got everything together. You're snobby. You're snotty. You think you're the only people on the face of the earth. You think only God loves you, and he gave you the word, and when he spoke it, it has to be in Hebrew. Nobody could ever, ever translate it. And that the temple was given only to you. All of you people over here, you're in a battle. You think your grandma and grandpa is over here in Jerusalem, but your other grandpa and grandma is over there at Gershom on the mountain there. You know where Jacob's well was. And everybody's in a fight. Everybody's arguing. We're all over here building the temple. We're all over here building the temple. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing for God. And then these old people right here, I didn't mean old people. But these people over here, they want to come help us. Heath goes, I tell you what, I'm not working by a Samaritan. I'm not going to do that. Craig says, why won't you do that? Because Craig's the loving Jew and the caring Jew. We'll call him, we'll call him Nicodemus. Okay? And uh, he says, I'm just not going to do it. This is God's house. It's God's temple. And it does not be, need to be defiled by a half Gentile or a full Gentile. No matter what. So then all of a sudden, Keith gets mad. Keith's mad, and so he goes and he talks to the kings, and he's telling them not, hey, Heath won't let us build on the temple. We can't work, and he won't let us build. No, 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 no. That's not the way vengeance is done. When revenge is wanted, you don't talk to him about what's plain. No, you make up lies about them. And you go over there, and you cause all kinds of accusations against them, just like those leaders in the government did against Daniel. And they lied about him and caused these things against him to get him thrown into the lion's den, right? So now here we are, and we can't get along. So you know what happens? Stop it. Stop Stop the building. Stop it. But then another king comes on the scene by the name of King Darius. In 458 B.C., King Darius gave another decree, and he said, you can go back to rebuilding the temple. I know you didn't believe me, so you can look in Ezra chapter number 6 at verse number 1. Then Darius, the king, made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls. (laughs) Scrolls. It says rolls. I copied it. I didn't type it, but... In the rolls, rolled up books. <laughs> Where's the house of rolls, Craig? We need to find that. It says, then King Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon, and there was found at Acmea, <laughs> Acmetha, right? That 
We don't even like meth today. In the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record, and it was thus written. Look at what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, the king, uh, the same Cyrus, the king that made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be building, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundation thereof be strongly laid. See, what happened was, is that Darius went back, as the Jews came and said, we want to rebuild the temple, and he went back into the scrolls, and he looked at the decrees. And you say, what do you mean? They're just like the United States in the Constitution. The Persian government kingdom, or whatever you want to call it, they always were about making more decrees and making more decrees. And they could not, listen, they could not just go off another one. No, they had to come in and restate and reinstitute one. So that's why Darius did that. So now the temple is being rebuilt. Hang on with me. Just stay with me. But then the Bible says, Know therefore and understand that the going forth of the commandment to rebuild the walls and all this stuff, it will be six weeks or seven weeks, remember 49 years, and 62 weeks, 434 years. He says the, wall, the streets will be rebuilt and the walls will be rebuilt. Listen, King Artaxerxes came in in Nehemiah chapter 2 and he said what? He said, Nehemiah, you go. And the clock starts. God's saying this is when it's going to happen. 70 weeks. Out of 490 years, church, that are determined upon Israel, we've, we've already got 49 of them accounted for. Next Wednesday night, I want to show you those other 434. And I know that you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. The same thing that I think many times. What, what do we need this for? What do we need to understand this for? But I know uh, this, is, this is the bad, this is the worst phrase you Christians, we all could say. But Steve, I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. What does it matter? It matters. Don't you want to know you got a true Bible? Don't you want to know that there is no errors in there, that it is the inerrant, infallible Word of God? Don't you want to know that, listen, you don't have a book that may be some kind of science book or some kind of history book that they're going to come back and revise later again and again and again, but you want to know that God actually got it right. And when Daniel actually was not prophesying himself, Brother Jack, do you know what the difference is? In, in Nostradamus and his prophecies and all these things that are going to come true, and in Jim Jones' prophecies, not the Jim Jones we know here at church, but the one that back in the days... You know, there's all that. They spoke it. But what was different? The Bible says tonight, Daniel didn't speak this. Daniel asked God for wisdom. God said, Gabriel, go and give him wisdom. And he's the one. This is God speaking this. And if we want to know that our salvation is secure, we need to know that every jot and tittle, every I and T is done the right way. And God tells us tonight, he says, the clock started when Artaxerxes said, go and rebuild the walls. Go and rebuild the city. And listen, they did it in 52 days. Well, Brother Steve, what about the 49 years? Listen, it was a prophecy not to build just the wall, but the streets and the plaza and everything therein. And the reason that it's different from rebuilding the temple, Brother David, is because of this. Cyrus, Darius... They didn't have a problem. Those kings didn't have a problem with the temple of worship being rebuilt. Why? Brother Heath, what does it matter if they worship God? It's fine. But no, we need the walls to be laying on the ground in case they ever try to revolt against us. The walls are already down and we're in charge.
Esther, queen. Went and rebuilt the structures of the walls. You know how many times the Jerusalem walls have been torn down and built up, torn down and built up? 18 times. Throughout the centuries, 18 times. Do you know that when we went to Israel, that you'll look and this wall on the bottom has got stones that are huge. They're as big as a coffin, literally. Those are Herodian stones, first century stones walking on. And then as you look up, you can see the different layers of how they were torn down, rebuilt. You can look all the way up even to like the 1200s and 1300s in the days of the Crusaders and all that. And you can see all these small stones. You can see the windows that are up there in those huge towers as the archers of the Crusaders and those that defend Israel or Jerusalem. That actually, when you're looking at them, they look like a small slit, just a small sliver of light. But Joe, when you get get behind there and you stand on this side, it's actually made like this, like a half, like a triangle. Why? Because the archer would not allow things to come back in. That's why the defense was that small slit, but that archer could move wherever they wanted to in order to take the people out. It's an amazing thing, church. Jerusalem crumbled, built, crumbled, built. Let me tell you something, and this is the last thing I'll say. God's not finished with Jerusalem and Israel yet. God's got a perfect plan, and the time is determined, and we've only learned about the first part of it tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you.